throughout this Advent season, when we think of all the incredible things that God has done through the incarnation and through everything else we'll be talking about, I just hope you'll remember that God did this for us. He did this for you because God loves you. And, um, you know, as Peter has mentioned earlier, Advent is a time um, of waiting that we begin to, to prepare our hearts for what it means that Christ is born among us. Um, our consumerist culture has already began trying to convince you that it's about something else and that it's about consuming and buying and spending and what you get and what you have. And so we're going to take these next few weeks that we have uh, at least one, one, one time a week we'll get to come and be reminded of, of what we really celebrate and what it really means that Christ is born among us. So we're going to begin this Advent story all the way back with the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of God for the people of God. God. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone. Isaiah was uh, speaking to a people who were certainly living in darkness. And they were undergoing a time of deep darkness. The Assyrians were uh, to invade. And once they did, everything, it was going to be horrible. Uh, they committed all kinds of horrible atrocities. They destroyed their cities. Chapter 8 actually tells of the horrors of the Assyrian invasion. Listen to this description in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 8. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. And then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now, this is Israel he's talking about. These are God's people he's talking about. Now, in verse 2, uh, Isaiah speaks of the hope of a light that's going to shine into that darkness. 
Uh, and, and so it's really interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, verse 1 is actually the last verse of chapter 8. And verse 2 is actually the first verse of chapter 9. And that division actually makes more sense because the first verse goes with all the destruction and stuff going on in chapter 8. And verse 2 begins Isaiah's talk of hope, of light that's going to shine. And as I read this, I couldn't help but think that not too far from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, there is this very day the darkness of war. People suffering in all the ways that people suffer in war. And sometimes the light seems to shine through when there's a ceasefire or we see some hostages released. But it seems like the light flickers. And depending on your definition, there are 13 wars going on right now in our world. Even more than that, if you count terrorist insurgencies. There are a lot of people who are living in darkness. And of course, there's all kinds of darkness other than war. We know of our own darkness. Some people live in the darkness of poverty or of fear or physical illness or of mental illness or of broken dreams. And the darkness in our world is real. And you may be experiencing some of that darkness even now. But Isaiah says, wait. <laughs> because there's a light that's shining in that darkness. A light that will one day overcome that darkness. A light that will one day bring joy. And he, uh, he gives two examples of what that joy will be like. Uh, the first is an example of a harvest. He said it will be like the kind of joy that people experience when they're bringing in the harvest from the fields. Now, unfortunately, uh, there are a few of us who know what that's like anymore. Uh, don't, don't, many people get that opportunity of that joy of bringing in the harvest from the fields. Uh, for most of us, the closest we get is bringing in the groceries from Publix, right? <laughs> but in his poem, The Farm, Wendell Berry expresses so well the joy of a harvest. Soon you will have salad greens out of the garden rows, then peas, early potatoes, onions, beets, beans, sweet corn. The bounty of the year now comes in like a tide. Yellow summer squashes, pole beans from the cornfield, tomatoes, okra, eggplant, cabbage, and cauliflower, eat and give to the neighbors, preserve for wintertime, plant more and fight the weeds. Later will come the fall crops, turnips, parsnips, more greens, the winter squashes, kushas, pumpkins as big as tubs. Too much for us, you'll say, and give some more away. If you know, you know. Right? It'll be joy like that kind of joy when you bring in the harvest. And it'll be a joy like a victory in battle. He says, like Gideon's battle at Midian. Uh, with a much smaller army and God's help, they won this battle against a much larger army. And there were none of the casualties that you would expect in war, just victory, just joy. They broke the yoke of their captors without ever firing a shot. 
As a matter of fact, he says, when the light fully comes and God has his way, all war will cease. There'll be no need. It's not that there's just going to be a moment of peace. It's that war is done. It's over. As a matter of fact, you you can destroy all the military stuff, Isaiah says, because it won't be needed ever again. Take the boots and the blood-stained uniforms and burn them in a fire. We'll never need them again. Take the tanks and park them on the playground. Let the children play on them. When people hear the word silo, they'll only think of a place to store grain. And mushroom will be a pizza topping, not a cloud. What a vision. What a beautiful vision. But that's not the world we know. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. So how do we get there? How do we get from where we are to there? How is that ever going to happen? And Isaiah says the most unusual thing. He said it all starts with the cry of a baby. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. That's how it all begins. It begins with the birth of a child. And not just any child, but the one whom God has chosen. And then Isaiah gives us four names to try to describe that child. He will be a wonderful counselor. Literally, that means a wonder of a counselor. He will have wisdom and direction from God. Mighty God. He will possess all power to accomplish everything that needs to be done. Everlasting Father. A reminder to us that his kingdom will last forever. Prince of Peace. He's the one who will finally be able to bring about peace. A real peace. A lasting peace. And it's not peace through strength. It's not peace through violence. It's not peace through threat or fear. It's peace through justice. There'll be peace because there'll be justice. There'll be peace because everyone is treated the way we all want to be treated. And so when this child is born, Isaiah said, all of these things will be set in motion. It will be the beginning of all of these promises. Now, our Jewish friends have interpreted this passage to be about King Hezekiah. Uh, they thought that, that he would be the one who would, uh, would, would come along and, and be able to, to restore Israel and free them from their captors. He would finally bring peace to their war-torn torn land. Uh, but it, it didn't really turn out that way. Uh, King Hezekiah, in the long run, managed to accomplish none of the above. However, some gospel writers read this passage of Scripture, and they saw someone different. They saw someone else. And Matthew and Luke both quote this section of Scripture from Isaiah, and they apply it to Jesus. Because they see in Jesus all of these things being fulfilled. They see in Jesus these promises, the kingdom of God beginning 
through his life, through his birth. And, and so it's not, uh, it's not Hezekiah, it's not someone whose father was king, but someone whose father was a carpenter. And then Matthew and Luke both quote Isaiah. John doesn't quote Isaiah, but he uses the same metaphor. He describes Jesus' birth this way. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then John also reminds us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It all begins with the birth of a child. Now, I had never noticed it before, but as I started studying for this message in this section of Isaiah, chapter 7, 8, and 9, there is a whole lot of talk about babies. It's a theological maternity ward in this section. Because in Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet tells King Ahaz, who is worried about the enemy going to attack and defeat him, but he says God will deliver him, and as a sign of God's deliverance, a child will be born, and that child's name will be Emmanuel. And then, of course, later, the gospel writers saw in that, that, that child, in, in, in this name, they saw Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy. Emmanuel, God with us. And, and then... Uh, in chapter 8, again, the king is concerned, and Isaiah tells him not to be concerned because God is going to take care of his problem, and God's going to do it in the length of time it takes for a child to be born. But this time, it's Isaiah's child who is born. And Isaiah names him Mehar Shalal Hashbaz. And it's very easy to see why there are no Christmas carols using his name. Oh, come, oh, come, may her shall all hashbaz. It just, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And then in chapter 9 is the sign once again of a child will be born, and this will be the sign. And this child is given four names, which really aren't names at all, but are descriptions of who this child will be. And it all begins with the birth of a child. Everything is set in motion when this child is born. This is the sign. Born for us. Born for you. And so as we begin this Advent season, we wait in hope. We wait for all the promises to be set in motion again in us. We wait with the prayer that all the darkness we've been through in this past year has not blinded us to the fact that the light has been shining and is shining still. Isaiah says, it all starts when the child is born. And a modern prophet, Harry Emerson Fostick, said, it all started the night God walked down the stairway from heaven to earth with a baby in his arms. There's still darkness around us. And there are still many who are walking in darkness. You may be walking in your own personal darkness this morning. But the light is shining. God is at work. 
At the birth of this child, it's all been set in motion. At the birth of this child, it is set in motion in us. And that's what we await and that is what we celebrate. Is these promises that God has given us. Let them be set in motion again in us as we celebrate the birth of this child. Amen.